I take that mindset in the book that personal leadership is having your own house in order, your own relationship with money, and then going out and helping the people around you you care about, both in the family situation and a business situation, to help them take appropriate money action based on their natural behavior, not forcing them to do something they're not wired to do. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky, and I'd just like to take pause to thank you so very much for supporting the show. Knowing that it is making a difference for you is making all the difference. So on today's call, I'm with the wonderful Ted McLyman. Welcome to the show, Ted. Rick, it is a pleasure to be here. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I always like to say I have two feet and a heartbeat, so I can't really complain too much. Now, uh, Ted is a book author. He has a long history of uh, things that he is going to share. Um, we're going to be talking about how to discover your money temperament on the show today. Um, but before we do that, Ted, we, we always take the time to unwrap um, your life and learn a little bit about your journey to where uh, and how you got to be where you are today. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with the My Future Business Show? Well, well, sure. I've been around for a while and uh, working with money and people on my life. Life And fortunately, my wife keeps an accurate journal of my mistakes, not my successes, my success, <laughs> my, my, my mistakes, oh, yes. which becomes excellent motivation to drive forward. So that's the first point. Second point is, uh, I grew up in upstate New York, United States, cold, dark, dank, came out of college and uh, wanted to get out of that area and chase some sunshine. And for some reason, I decided to take a commission in the United States Marine Corps. Oh, some people would say that's a little radical, but it did get me out of the snow, and they had the foresight to send me to Hawaii as my first duty station. Oh, wonderful. Pretty oh, hard yeah. life. There, yeah, yeah, well, there I learned about sun sunscreen for the first time and sunglasses and what it's like to live in a very high-cost area for the first time with a lot of adults without much constraints and what that can do not only to you personally and professionally, but on a serious note, I was finding that, that my Marines and sailors were making all kinds of crazy mistakes with money, which was causing uh, domestic problems, substance abuse, performance issues, mm -hmm. uh, security issues, and the like. And I came out of uh, Colgate University with a background in, in money, and uh, they kind of vectored us in to fix these problems. Nice stuff, Tyler. And it was there I first realized that money is beha about behavior. It's not about money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I know that you're a big uh, for, uh, sports fan. You enjoy uh, uh, get, being active. Uh, has that played a big part of your life? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in the Marine Corps, I think we ran, I, I was a runner my entire career. Uh, I retired as lieutenant colonel, stayed in for about 21 years. And during that period of time, I think we ran for 90% of it either going towards something or away from something <laughs> away you from take something. your <laughs> you take your pit. yeah uh but uh marathoning triathlon uh, uh the triathlon is was really kind of an interesting uh uh jump if if you will uh you know that's uh swimming an ungodly distance uh riding a bike for no particular reason and then running for for absolutely no reason <laughs> to get a t-shirt and i've been doing that for some while and found out i was fairly good at it but it does hurt yeah well i think there's some uh, some great insights into that because uh anything that's worth anything is worth a bit of pain isn't it 
Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of introspection. I, I think I wrote my first book on my bike. Uh, it gives you a lot of time to think what's going on. And, you know, as a, as a triathlete, it's also very easy to go over the deep end with your money. You can spend a small fortune on a pair of tires, wheels, or, or a bike for that matter. And if you get wrapped up in that whole process, uh, you can dig a pretty good hole for yourself. So, again, that reinforced a lot about learning about myself, but also watching people do crazy things with money mm -hmm. and not really knowing what they're doing based on the emotion. So, yeah, we're human. We do human things with money. And uh, that's what I like to watch. Now, probably in your experience, you've seen some crazy things with money also. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's been... There's been some things that have happened throughout my life and I'm sure everybody else's life where they neglect to look at, um, I guess, the relevance and the utility of money and they often uh, overlook some of the fundamentals. And I'm hopeful that today, Ted, that we could talk about um, some of those things to help uh, the sure. My Future Business audience learn how to accept money and attract it and use it wisely. Yeah, I, I think for most of your listeners who, who are, are, are just naturally attuned to money, I believe, and a number of them are starting businesses, running businesses, or they're in management or executive positions. Mm -hmm. And I attack the money problem differently than I think most everybody, all your listeners have, have been introduced to from a traditional finance or economic point of view. Now, mm -hmm. I'm trained to tra traditionally. I taught economics at the Naval Academy. I've taught at a couple of universities. I was a financial advisor for a number of years. And as I said earlier, I've spent most of my career watching people make crazy decisions with money and try to unwind some of those decisions. And in 2008, watching the meltdown during that period, which was a lot of smart people doing crazy things with money and not realizing the, the long-term consequences, I realized that as a financial professional, as an economist, that we were attacking the, the issue of money and money management incorrectly. The conventional wisdom is we're rational with our money. Given enough facts, enough data, we will take the right decision. Well, how's that working out? Mm. Not very well. Mm. So I started looking at it from a behavior perspective. And through my research and working with hundreds of clients and, and business professionals over the years, I came to the realization that there are three things that drive our money that we need to be aware of, but nobody talks about. First is our biology. We're humans. And as humans, we're wired to do two things real well, stay alive and pass on the genes. Yeah. Everything else is yeah. secondary. Yeah. We're driven by our primitive emotional mind, and that's the default. Dopamine drives us. Dopamine is the feel-good drug that's in the anticipation drug. That, that's the excitement of, of getting something new, of trying a new enterprise, uh, getting involved with new people. And Dopamine is a, is a wonderful neurotransmitter, but it can get us in trouble as we're chasing money and we get overconfident. So the first is our biology. We, our, our, I believe our brains are set up to keep it real simple. We've got a feeling brain and a thinking brain. Our feeling brain is the default. It's the dominant where we spend most of our time. It's, it's primitive. It's reactive. It's emotional. It's quick. Our thinking brain, under, on the other hand, is relatively new in, in genetic times. And it takes a lot of energy to think and, and be deliberate and be rational. So the default is to do things often that are unconscious and below the radar. I mean, that's why you bought a $5,000 navigation system for a car when you really don't need it, but it seemed good at the time. 
<laughs> multiple times I think I might have done that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's human. Now, the biology what drives everything, and which makes this more complicated in today's economy, marketeers and retailers understand that. The new field of neural marketing addresses or targets that primitive brain, that, that, that default. And that's why we end up with things we probably don't need, a car that's more than we need, a house that's too big, and clothes we never wear. Uh, as a matter of fact, about 95 to 99% of our spending is automatic and non-conscious. And it's generally emotional. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem when you're running into Starbucks, but it is a problem when you're adding an extra 5,000 square feet into a home you really can't afford to begin with. That's what I was looking at from the biology. But that's not all. And, and from, a, from a money professional and, and, and working as an economist and a financial advisor, we never talk about that. We assume everybody, if I give you again enough, enough information, you'll figure it out. We're, we're fundamentally rational. It's just one more spreadsheet, you know, yeah. one more set of data, and you'll get through it. But So that's the first part. The second part is your belief set. Your belief set with money is well-established by mid-adolescence. Now, think about this for a second. That means where you were in middle school or between 10 and 13 years old, mm -hmm. what you thought was important, your peer group, your family, your environment, and what you like to spend your money on is pretty much the way you are today, non-consciously. That can be a scary thought, particularly back in the 80s when you're still looking for your starter jacket and a lot of hairspray. <laughs> so that's your belief set. It can be changed, but yeah. it's difficult. And the last part is our culture. Culture is a tremendous impact on spending, spending beliefs, spending behavior. I've been around the world. I've worked with a lot of people. I've lived in different cultures. And there are cultural differences as to how people value money, how they spend their, their hard-earned resources, where they allocate the, how they allocate their resources, and to what. In the United States, we are fundamentally a consumption culture. We like to buy stuff 24-7, oh, yeah. online, offline, it doesn't matter. And that's different than other places. But our culture is our microculture, which is our family, our neighborhood, the region we live in. The macroculture is more of, say, the United States, the UK or whatever. And, and that is a tremendous driver of how we think and feel about money, how we value things, and how we get things done. I, I sit here and I reflect on my, my family, my local, you know, my immediate family, my parents and their behavior. I, I was fortunate because they had uh, enough to, you know, um, be comfortable and buy the nice things in life. And I have other friends who um, are not so fortunate and they've always attracted less money because I, I guess in many respects, Ted, is because of the way they think about money. Can we unlearn these things? Because it sounds very difficult. Yeah, uh, and, and that's that's the good news for all this. Now, we're not going to change our biology. We haven't got enough time. That takes eons, and yeah. we're not going to get into that. <laughs> so we are who we are. So it's first thing, accept that we're human, and we're always going to do human things with our money. That is the default. And we're all wired a little different. So the first thing I tell everybody is don't judge how people think and feel about money. Accept it, but baseline who you naturally are. For example, are you a spender? Are you a saver? Are you risk adverse? Are you a risk taker? Are you a person that wants it all or good enough? So there are a number of biases or ways we think about money and it helps define who you are. So the first part is who are you with money? And if you're married, have children, partner, whatever, you're probably aware that they have a different, what I call temperament. 
and your temperament is how you naturally think and feel about money. Mm -hmm. Discover what that is and accept it, then build a strategy around that. And that's the second part of the book, part two, which I call your money behavior system, which is a different approach to financial literacy or financial planning as an entrepreneur building a business or a business plan. And it first assumes that you're unique, that your very complicated relationship is a function of, again, your, your biology, your belief set, and your culture. I think it's incredibly frustrating to try to change that. It's much more effective to accept it and then build a strategy around who you naturally are. Uh, Let me use an example of yep. fitness. Okay, there are a lot of ways to get fit. There are a lot of ways to lose weight. They all work, but they're all different, and they only work if they're wired or aligned with the individual. For example, I'm a triathlete. I do marathons. I do a lot of crazy endurance sports. I can lose weight. I could show you how to lose weight doing the same thing I do, but you may not want to do that. Yeah. You're not aligned with my behavior to follow what I'm doing. So you'd be frustrated and I'd be frustrated if I try to beat you up every day to say, you just need to do what I'm doing. And ironically, that's the model, if you think about it, for financial planning, in most cases, in financial literacy. Just follow what I'm doing. Fill in the guru of the day or the talking head. He, they're basically saying, do what I did and you're going to be okay, which is true if you happen to be aligned behaviorally with the individual in the program. If you're not, you may get advice that is technically correct, but incredibly inappropriate for your natural money temperament. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's great insight. Thank you so very much for sharing that, Ted. Now, I often think about uh, the generations after and before us when I think about money um, money mindset and, and these things. Um, as parents, I know we have a lot of parents on the show. And um, should we be doing more to um, educate, our, our, educate our children earlier on than maybe what we, what we have been in the past? Because I don't think the school systems really teaches us much about this. No, I would submit in, in most Western cultures, the level of financial literacy is abysmal to non-existent. Hmm. We te seem to have this system that, that when you come of age in the United States, it's age 18, that you're just going to figure it out and it's going to be okay. Well, that may be true if you're living on a subsistence farm or it's, you know, 1860 and, you know, the big days, <laughs> you know, once a quarter going down to the town yep. and bark. But it doesn't work that way. Today's economy is so complex and fast moving. It's an international reach just off your phone. So that means that you can get in trouble financially quicker in different ways with stuff you didn't know existed 24, 36 hours ago. And it's very difficult for our primitive feeling brain to assimilate all this. So what I think is critically important to start with your young people very, very early to help them understand the process of making money decisions, that the emotions and how they're wired. And if you've got two children and they have different money temperaments, you're going to have to train them differently. If one can't sit down for more than 10 minutes and you're going to expect them to do a budget and, and follow a regiment that is very, very strict, you're both going to probably be very frustrated. So what I tell people, it starts with, I call it, the values discussion, money mm -hmm. values. And I think anybody can do this. Um, this is probably starts being effective probably with, with teenagers and above. And, and all I'm saying is what is important about money to you from an emotional context. 
And most people start out with saying it's things. I want stuff. Well, yeah. if you really deep, it's broader than that. For folks my age, it may be leave a legacy, take care of my family, uh, contribute, give back to the community. When you're younger, it might be start a family. It may be get started and give from there. But it's always more than stuff. And I don't care what the value is, but you should be very clear and understand what the cost of that is, not only today of what you've got to sacrifice to achieve it, but over the long run. And we seldom do this. And this is different than the standard goal setting drill, you know, which is, you know, tell me the house you want to live in, when you want to retire, what golf uh -huh. course you want to be in. <laughs> that, that's almost meaningless. So I don't care if you want to have your name on a brass plaque in front of your favorite athletic team and it's down in the locker room and it's going to cost you 10,000 bucks and that trips your trigger and that's your highest value in life with money. Okay, go for it. I don't have a problem with that, but there's a little give up. But here's the kicker. We may say that I have these high values of opening a, a, you know, giving a legacy, being remembered, giving back to my university, whatever, yeah. but show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what your money values are. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where you spend your time and how you spend your money. And most of that is non-conscious. Those are your true money values. Now, I don't judge. I don't care if you want to, if you spend most of your time buying clothes, eating out and playing golf, mm -hmm. that's fine. I can show you how to do that very effectively and efficiently, but then don't come back in a few years that I want a comfortable retirement, or I want to have a statue, you know, dedicated to me in the country square. Cause I'm a, I'm a great person. You made a decision. So the first is your money values. And, and that's a tough call for most people and with partners and, and, spouses and, and, and children, you very, I don't know, very few people have ever had that discussion. Yes. So money values is, is the lynch pig that gets it going. It's the benchmark that you have to go toward. Once you understand your values, then how do you naturally think and feel about money? Your money temperament, what's your feeling brain on money? What is your thinking brain on money? Again, do you like to spend money? Does spending money give you emotional satisfaction or does saving give you emotional satisfaction? I don't care what it is, but if you're naturally a spender and the valet at your favorite mall knows your name and the, and the license plate on your car, that's fine. That means you need a strategy that accommodates that, not necessarily trying to change that behavior. Yeah. So if you're a, a spender, you take care of all your obligations up front and what's left or left over is yours. So benchmarking your temperament is incredibly important. But again, I'm not judging. I think yeah. where most financial planning fails and most programs fall short is, okay, now that I know you're spending money, I'm imposing my methodology, my values on you, and you've got to change your behavior to be just like me. Well, I've got a background in economics. I'm analytic. I've been a financial advisor. To expect you to act and behave like me is unrealistic. My job should be to help you discover how you react with money, how you interact with money, and then design a strategy that accommodates your natural money temperament, as opposed to try to beat you into submission where you're going to be frustrated. I'm going to be frustrated. In most cases, it ends in failure. See, this is much deeper than the basic level that I often hear from financial planners, exactly what you've described. I, I know that money is a tool. I know that we talk about saving and compound interest and attracting wealth and, and, and knowing all of these wonderful things. But this is very tailored. This is a, a very different take on the, the uh, I guess, the relationship that we have with money as individuals. 
Yeah, I call this the front end to any traditional financial planning program. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a financial planner for years. I taught economics. I get it. And, and the, the key point is the traditional financial planning model is sound. It works. But what we generally don't do is the front end to figure out, you know, how I'm naturally wired so I can be more effective as an advisor or I can be more effective as a client. And again, what I'm trying to do with this book, and it's a very, very simple read. I think you can see a copy of it in the background. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 this is your manual with no drama, no graphs, no math of, and it's based on, on a metaphor of, of you jumping into this person's skin, the character in the book, and, and going through different spending uh, encounters and, and figuring out how you take decisions with regard to money so you can better understand how you're naturally wired. Then once you understand who you are with money, your values, your temperament, uh, I call it also money knowledge. Money knowledge is more than just technical knowledge. It's how do you process information? Mm-hmm. Are you a visual learner, an auditory learner, tactile? Because that influences how you interact with people that are going to try to help you with money, but also the product. Then you design your strategy that aligns with your temperament. The next step is the action plan. And there are hundreds of books, hundreds of qualified people that can actually help you design an action plan. The question is, does the plan fit your temperament or is it going to ask you to do things that you're just not wired to do in all probability you're going to fail? This is a wonderful call, Ted. This is, uh, you know, going to that next level in, in your relationship with money. Now, when people pick up this book, is it a cover-to-cover read type of oh, experience? Oh, yeah. I call it an airplane, I call it an airplane book. <laughs> I, I, wrote, I wrote this so you can go through this real quick. Uh, it's about a, it, you know, it's, it's less than 200 pages, 176 pages or something like that. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a fun read. Uh, you get into it. And it, there's a lot, I, actually, you know, this is a leadership book. It's not a book about money. Mm-hmm. It's a book about personal leadership, about discovering yourself and how you work with people and money and, and what's important to you. It's personal leadership and self-help, but you're going to put a dollar figure on some of those encounters. And you're going to learn that the rules of money have changed. It's radically different than it was for my parents and your parents. That environment no longer existed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is effectively self-employed. And I, I take that mindset in the book that personal leadership is having your own house in order, your own relationship with money, and then going out and helping the people around you you care about, both in the family situation and a business situation, to help them take appropriate money action based on their natural behavior, not forcing them to do something they're not wired to do. And this is radical. This is fundamentally different. However, we do it in everything else in our lives. Yeah. Every professional athlete I know has a coach who coaches them from a behavioral perspective, not a dogmatic perspective, if that makes sense. Yes. And, and if we do it with, in sports, we do it with diet. We do it in lifestyle. We have coaches for everything. Why don't we do it with money? Yeah. Because the mindset in money is, and it goes back to, you know, the classical economics, really turn of the century, uh, Chicago school stuff, that we are fundamentally rational. And as a rational human, we have perfect information and markets are efficient 
and we're efficient. So we're wasting our time trying to do all this. But in reality, we're not all that good with money. Humans are not hardwired to work well with money. We're not good at taxes. We don't read the small print on our credit cards. Most people don't know what an APR is, annual percentage rate. And, and it even hurts to figure it out. Mm. So we don't do it. So in my mind, we need to take a step back and say, okay, we know we've got to figure this out. You're going to be held accountable and responsible for this at one point. It's best to figure out early, not later. And then once you understand your relationship with money from a natural perspective, say, okay, that's cool. I'm a spender. I tend to have enjoyment out of spending things. I it's like okay to be spend. like that. Yeah. So that's cool. So I need a strategy that means I, I, I pay all my bills first. I pay cash or use a debit card. I avoid places that are just conspiring against me on a daily basis to take <laughs> money. Yep. Uh, you know, I take very simple steps and it doesn't have to be hard. Let me give you two quick tips that'll probably save you everybody a thousand bucks in this, in, in, in this recording. Please do. When you go to a supermarket, when you go to the supermarket, make a list. Amazing. Rocket science. Your grandmother taught you that, but nobody does it. Here's the other one that nobody thinks about. When you go into the supermarket, okay, how many people on this call have gotten a call, a text message from home and said, stop by and pick up milk and bread. And you run into the supermarket and you buy all this stuff. You fill the cart, spend a hundred and some odd bucks. Get home, find out you, felt you forgot the milk and bread. Guilty. We're doing it. But man, you got beer, you got chocolate, you got ice cream, you got chips, you got all this great stuff. Hey, I was go, hungry. Yeah, milk and bread, who cares? So <laughs> you make a list. And here's something that's really cool. When you go in the supermarket, go left, don't go right. Think about that for a second. Don't go right. At almost every store in the United States in our Western culture is set up that the high value, high margin, margin items are on the right-hand turn. You go right, you're probably, if it's a supermarket, you're probably going to be heading towards the deli. You're probably going to be heading towards the flower area. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, high margin, nice to have stuff, usually not healthy and relatively expensive. Then they're going to vector you around to the meat department because that's high margin stuff and seafood. And the dairy and the eggs and the healthy stuff is way back on the yeah. left hand side of the door all in the, the back. All the staples are right at the back, aren't they? Exactly. So shop on the outside, go left to right, make a list. I just saved everybody in this call thousands of dollars. Wonderful. I, I often think about this in terms of marketing. If we might be able to talk a little bit about marketing and its influence on our, mm -hmm. I guess, our mentality uh, towards money. Can we talk a little bit about that? What, what do you think of uh, current day marketing? Uh, marketing is getting very, very complex, very sophisticated. And the marketeers are at least five or six steps ahead of the average consumer with regard to the, the, the behavior of people, mm -hmm. the neurology of spending. I mean, think about it for a second. If you go to a place and it says Galleria, non-consciously, you're primed to spend more money. If it's got a valet, you're primed to spend more money. So they know this. They know that there are certain colors in the palette that make or are naturally calming. Mm -hmm. There's a reason you hear classical music in some stores with low lights and smells. There's a reason that every mall in America has a central food court with somebody making chocolate chip cookies or pretzels. Oh, yeah. 
makes us feel good. It makes us spend money. So everything we're doing is organized in such a way that you're nudged to move to a certain direction, to take a certain action and a certain behavior to spend money. Case in point, I'm not a coffee snob and I don't go nuts over gourmet coffee. I had a meeting today, which was a very nice gourmet coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I paid five bucks for a cup of coffee. I would never do that because I brew my own at home and I like it, it takes better, whatever. But the point is I was at this place, it looked good. They're doing the coffee grounds in the back. The yep. people look right. It smelled right. You know, I had great internet connection. Not only did I pay five bucks for a cup of coffee, when I came up to pay for it, they said, do you want to do a one, two or a $3 tip? Oh, yes. Well, you have a $1 tip on a four, on a four or $5 cup of coffee. What is the percentage? And that's my non-conscious feeling brain going, man, I'm in the mood. The dopamine is flowing. I feel this is good. And it looks like everybody else is doing the same thing I do. <laughs> yep. So let's jump in. So what you have to do is put yourself in the mindset. Now that's not a consequential purchase. I mean, if you're jumping, jumping into, you know, the convenience store after you get gas and you walk off with, you know, an overpriced soda and a dozen donuts, yep. you know, that's a, that's a behavior problem in a different area, yep. but it's not a real big money issue. Yeah. However, if your behavior is such that you always go to the upper end restaurant at lunch and you're always offering ordering off the high end menu and you've got a certain mindset that you have to wear a certain style of clothing and, and drive a certain automobile, that's the type of behavior that is again, non-conscious that'll get you into trouble financially. And the marketeers know it. Um, to give you a great example is buying a car. Okay, cars at one time, if everybody was rational and everybody uh, was, was the econo economic man with regard to transportation, we would look at automobiles as a way to go from point A to point B most efficiently and effectively as possible at the lowest cost. Mm -hmm. We'd all drive 20-year-old Fiats. Now, you might die in it, but it wouldn't cost more, <laughs> and it would get you going from point A to point B. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, that doesn't work that way. The average price of the car right now is about $37,000, and you can get a 72-month lease. Okay, that's more than people used to spend on a house. Mm -hmm. So we have to realize that, that the auto industry has figured out that we're human and that our primitive brain buys a car. It used to be you had to have your car break down, you had to drive to a dealership and go through that hassle of looking in whatever. Now you can do it online and you can build your own car oh, yeah. and you can go back and build it again. And the dopamine is, is flowing and, and the neural uh, mere neurons and you're in that car. You can't smell it, but you can almost touch it. And you realize that this is your car. And at the end of it, it says, do you want to save your vehicle? No. Would you like somebody to contact you? Uh -huh. And you go through a couple of times and you're already primed in, to buy that car before you even go into the lot. But let's show you how insidious dopamine is. I mean, you're drooling over things. You can see yourself in it. You're already in the, in the mode. So you buy that automobile and you're proud. You're feeling good. You know, your, your feeling brain is pumped up on dopamine and you go through your neighborhood, the same neighborhood that on the way to the dealership, you drove through at 35 miles an hour on the way back, you're driving at 15. Yeah, And you're making sure everybody in the neighborhood knows you have a new car. And the first weekend, you don't just wash it, you pamper it. 
<laughs> By the end of the month, you just wash it. Then it gets a ding in the parking lot. And six months later is, oh, that old thing? And the marketers realize this, and in 18 months, they're picking you to buy another car. Yeah, it's just an amazing cycle, isn't <laughs> it? Uh, there is obviously a great deal to be taken away from uh, your life's experience, your understanding of money, money management, money mindset. Now, um, Im importantly, when people get to your website, which I've had a look at, it's fantastic. Um, what are they going to find there? And what is the process to get your book? Oh, the, the book is available at all major retailers. You can go to Amazon. Uh, if you just type in my last name or, or money temperament, it'll come up Barnes and Noble, most major retailers. If you go through my book, you can go through my website, tedmcclyman.com that's t-e-d-m-c-l-y-m-a-n.com it'll give you a little bit more information on the book and it'll give you some information on the process and then you can uh i have a free course on the book that you can take there or you can it'll it'll vector you to to amazon where you can purchase it's available as an ebook a soft cover and a hardcover book i recommend the soft cover and let me explain why this book is written and designed in such a way that this becomes your own personal manual with money. I want you to write all over it. I want you to highlight it. I want you to dog ear this thing. I want you to abuse it. And when you get into a consequential money situation, you take that book out and just by taking it out and touching it is going to save your money because that's the way your brain works. By looking at the book and looking at what you've done and what's important in there and going through the exercise this is your roadmap to better spending, more consequential spending. I'm not going to say success. I'm going to say consequential spending, which that becomes the, the telltale for being successful. And if you're an entrepreneur, I can't tell you an entrepreneurs I've talked to that get wrapped up in the shiny and they're buying all the cool stuff before they've even got a business. Mm -hmm. We went through this in the dot-coms. We've got people that are making great incomes, but they're still, I mean, I know people, well, a, a quick story. I worked with a client a few years back and I was talking to her about how much she saved. She said, I saved twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 this year. I said, that's commendable, but you make 240. Okay. Yes. Perspective. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're, we're wired to be happy. We're wired to be we like pleasure. We, we don't like pain. We avoid it. And the reality is that life has gotten so complex and it's moving so fast. The rules of money have changed. What worked just a few years ago is not working today. You have to realize that longevity is a game changer. Again, I'm going to go back to, you know, the 1860s living on a subsistence farm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you made it to your 40s, you had a heck of a run. Uh, today, we plan for you to live to in your late 90s, 100 years old, and that's a different dynamic. The other thing you have to realize is that things are happening so fast, you can't possibly take in all that information. The COVID that we're going through right now is a great example. Mm -hmm. Most people know where that part of China was six months ago, and today it's upturned their lives. Mm, we know all about it. Yeah, so you have to realize that in today's economy that that you have to have the mindset of being self-employed, that you're in charge of your own destiny. You're the CEO of you, and it begins by understanding, number one, your money values, your money temperament, and how you process information, your money knowledge, and then a strategy that is dynamic and, and accommodates who you are. That gives you the flexibility and the leverage to move in the direction you have to very rapidly to change and accommodate 
what's going on in today's world because it's moving at warp speed. These are some significant cognitive shifts. These are about uh, learning and understanding self. These are about uh, getting that coach, getting somebody to help you, getting your hands on this book, dog-earing that book, uh, using the book, and actually implementing what you learn. And with all of that um, being said, I will be making links back to Ted and his wonderful works at tedmcclyman.com below this post. No matter where you find it, you will find the links back to Ted. Ted, I have just had such a wonderful time spending some time with you on the My Future Business Show today. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.